you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. You have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. But none other than Tony Hawk, Todd Peterson. Yes, the answer, everybody. Thanks for being on, Jordan. The League presents Electric People. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. We have my friend, mentor, and somebody that everybody in this industry owes a whole lot to, Mr. Sean Branchley. Thanks for being on today, Sean. I appreciate it. This You're looking a, good, dude. This is a pleasure to be in front of two great people. Well, it's so. great to have you, man. Thank you so much for joining us. So, uh, Sean was the co-founder of Safe Home, uh, early security company in the industry, equity partner um, of Vivint, and exited. We were just debating when you exited from Vivint five, six I it was years ago. Thirteen, but I think that's when the transaction happened. It was in November of twenty thirteen, and then I, I stayed on for a couple months. So February of um, twenty fourteen, I thought is when I left but that yeah. seems about right it's been about five years it's been long enough so yeah. with with as i was thinking about this the crazy thing is i've watched i came up under your leadership you exited i've tried a lot of us have tried to employ a lot of the things that we learned from you yeah and it's crazy to see that a lot of the things that we do today yeah. are rooted from like Brenchley's school of leadership yeah. development man yeah that's it's fun so hopefully we get into some of these details but it's not just that it's not just sales leadership uh, Branchley is an artist. Went to school on an art scholarship. Did you know that? I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, right. man. Yeah, a, what kind of art? Yeah, so it's an actually it's a really interesting story. So um, growing up, um, I think everybody thinks, um, oh, Sean, he's successful. He's done all these great things, but nobody really goes back in time, right? So if you go back in time and you put me in like grade school, when everybody said, hey, when the teacher said, hey, go read a book, I I didn't read a book. Like I couldn't focus long enough to read it. I just struggled with it. And so I'd start to draw, and I'd draw. So while everybody was reading books, I was drawing. And that habit just kind of kept on going just because of my inability to, to like to read. I had mm. um, I come to find out, you know, not only coupled with, you know, the ADD, but I also had a, uh, I had a learning disability. And, uh, and so it's interesting, you know, you have uh, successes, but nobody really goes back all the way to when they were childhood and what things they had to struggle with, but... For me, yeah, that's how I did it. So I, I just drew and and I got really good at it. And that's You're what I spent your ten thousand hours. <laughs> that's what I spent my ten hours out ten thousand hours on. I was a terrible reader, you know, and it yeah. just showed up from a school it's, standpoint. It's funny how your success now is something that you, they used to smack you around for when you were a kid. Yeah, right? yeah. Read yeah. your book, and now everybody's proud. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to get into some, some of like the philanthropy stuff that we've done together, and that I yeah. know you do. Um, a golf dad a mentor. Yep. There's really many different chapters to Sean Branchley, man. So I'm really excited to have you here. Um, to start off, you were the first person, I'm interested in your take on this. You're the first person that I've seen merge real creativity with leadership. Yeah. Um, you have this ability to think outside of the box and tie things together, like symbols that mean something. Um, maybe talk about that. The Chinese noodle, that, that's the one that comes to mind as yeah, a symbol yeah. that we saw everywhere yeah. for a year. But how did you use creativity or kind of out of the box thinking to to yeah. influence leadership? So I had a uh, I had an opportunity to meet a guy. His name was Paul Gustafson. He's an organizational behavior um, guy. He goes around and he consults. And we met him uh, right before we were meeting with Bronco Mendenhall. We were golfing, and I watched this kooky haired guy talk to Bronco Mendenhall while he was a coach at BYU. Talk to him, and 
And Bronco like listened to him. Like he literally, you could see just from a distance that what was coming out of this guy's mouth was meant something great. And so I decided to, um, to hire him and he came in and we were paying him an exorbitant amount of money every single day to come in. And I'm like, dude, a guy that charges this much money has to have some content behind it. And so I just started to listen and study, but everything that came out of his mouth, I had to translate it. I had to like take it and translate it to you and all the rest of the managers to help them to be able to understand what it was that he was teaching. But he was teaching in principles. And I think a lot of times, one of the things that we can do um, from a leadership standpoint of is these guys need to make, they need to remember it. And one way to remember it is to be able to have something visual that can help them memorize something. That's how I mm-hmm. memorize and that's how I learned. And so I always remember that if there's a symbol that's associated with something that I can teach people, they'll be able to remember it for the rest of their lives. And, and that's how I have to learn it. And so that's how I teach it. And so the Chinese noodles is a great one. Um, you know, and I heard that I really, it captivated me, not only captivated me, but it really applied to the door to door sell. Like it was just this, nobody, nobody just has a straight line of success. It's this idea that, that, uh, the Chinese believe that in order for you to get to a higher level, you actually have to go backwards before you go forward. And a lot of times guys that are on the podcast that, that um, are listening to this, you might be out knocking on doors and you might be out there grinding and you might actually feel like you're going backwards. But at that same time, the real realization is, is that if you keep on trying, like you'll go to a higher level than you've ever been before. And that, that Chinese noodle just really resonated with me. And, and so that's something that you can put into guys on, and guys yeah, are, and it was guys, on are hat guys are and, visual. Yeah. They like it. And, and the other one that likes it is Thai. Cause you know, he's like me and we like that, those two things. And so, I think a lot of times that that really, when you talk about capturing, a, a real leader captures hearts and minds. Uh, minds is a mental thing where that makes sense to them, but hearts is something that's really deep felt, something where you know that they care. And um, and as a leader, I felt like that was one of my biggest attributes is, is that I was very, very empathetic with those guys that were out on the doors that were trying to go and work every single day because I realized how hard it was um, when we first started to put in you know, I remember putting in like 15 alarms for our whole company when I was at Safe Home. And I remember the whole satisfaction of doing that and how much time and energy that it took just to do 15. And then, uh, you know, later on, as we got better and better, it ended up being 1,500 a day and then 2,000 a day. And it was just, you know, you, you, you look back on it, and, but you still don't, you still appreciate those very first days totally. of, of being able to do something. So Well, and I think with, you mentioned empathy as yeah. one of your strengths of leadership. It's funny because with salesmanship, there's a level of confidence, maybe a little bit of bravado, competition. With leadership, a lot of times it's, it's vulnerability, it's connection, it's yeah. being open with somebody. And one of the things that, that maybe I'd like to hear you speak to is you had a very diverse team, yeah. right? And it was interesting that you didn't manage this team by putting everybody in the same box and saying, okay, here's the standard, hit the standard or go, and I'm going to evaluate your performance. Right. I remember you called everybody in the room. I did this with you. We took a personality test. Yeah. So it's the craziest thing where it's like we're direct sellers. Branchley gets us in the room. It's like, all right, everybody take this test. Yeah. We all did it. And it came out where it's like, oh, you're blue, yellow. Yeah, yeah. I need to talk to you different yeah. than the way I'm going to talk to this red, red. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what's the thought behind that? So um, again, I would go back to Paul and give him credit. He introduced me to this, and you've heard of the color 
the whole profile thing, but this was a little bit deeper for me. Um, when you take this test, it's an HBDI is what it's called. And when you take this test, this guy's figured out not only what they do in a normal circumstance, but what their comfort zone is, like where, where their preference is. But the greatest thing is what happens to them under pressure. And, and it gives a, a reading for just their preferences, where they like to be. But under pressure, this management tool tells what they'll do. And, uh, and where it helped me out was is I wanted everybody to be able to take it um, because I wanted to be able to know how to talk their language. And I needed to be able I learned that in sales, um, we're just translators, okay? We have to take information that's complicated, that's from, you know, our boss that sometimes doesn't speak the same language. And we have to take that and we have to translate it down to a customer that needs to understand it in a very simple format, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. If you look at what I was doing, I needed to take complicated information and get it down and disseminate it back to my managers, my regionals and, and the people inside. And so from that, I wanted to find out what the best way for them to receive it was. And um, it was funny because sometimes people like to hear my stories and sometimes people are annoyed by my stories. And I wanted to be able to find out that out. The other tool that I found was is that if they profiled under pressure really read, I knew that if I surprised them with any piece of information at all, they would go berserk in the meeting. So if I had 16 people in a meeting I would, the people that were profiled in a certain way, emotionally, I would take those people out or talk to them the day before and say, hey, I just want to let you know, this is what I'm going to announce. These are things I'm going to talk about. And they would rant and rave in front of me and I'd let them get it out and I'd contain them and I'd do that. And then I'd, I'd address all the issues. And then the next day when I was in my, in my meeting, I could announce it and I didn't have them go crazy on me. And it really harnessed it. So guys that profile like Ty, I already know because I can already see that he's a big picture type of guy. He'll sit back. He won't make a reaction. He'll look at it. He trusts me and he'll look at the big picture. That's just who he is. He just goes big. And I know that just from a profile that from having these guys teach it. But it's crazy those things work. It's crazy that you can like, have you ever? It's a huge tool, right? You should do it. Like everybody should do it. Our leaders should do that. But it's crazy to me that you're answering these questions like, are you more likely to do this or this? Yeah, do you yeah. like movies or do you like music? Do you how like, do you hold your pencil? How do you hold? And then and then it <laughs> spits out this thing where I'm like, oh, it's yeah. me. And yeah. it's stuff I didn't even know yeah, about yeah. me, but it's true. And you those really, things work on yeah, me you, perfectly. Sometimes you don't even like you won't believe it about yourself. But wait, you do have your wife. So yes. have your wife yes. take it, take it, take this 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 little profile <laughs> test, you and go. then you, and then you look at your wife, and you're like, oh, dude, that that that's called? her. It's, it's HBDI. I'll get it. I'll get you the information. You guys can send it out to everybody, right. and I can set up an account for There's you. There's a Myers Briggs one. Is that the same one? No. It is the same, but I, I'm just really familiar with the one that, HBDI, that yeah. has. Dude, it. they're it's, super cool. It's a super cool. Thing, but the but, point is, I've never seen anybody do that before because I see a lot of yeah, people. Yeah. So let me teach you the principle behind mm-hmm. it. Yeah. The principle behind it is this. Um, we have a process. Business and organizations are built off of systems and processes, okay? And not all of them are created equal. And so every single thing that we do inside of a business is a system or it's a process. And if it's not working, you just go back to the process and get it to work. Well, being able to develop a team and be able to be able to have the right people, you got to have a person that to be able to do the jobs, right, that you delegate to and give them these processes, Sometimes you need to figure out, is this guy the right person for that job, right? And a lot of times what we do, the principle behind it is, is that we grab a person and then we give them a list of responsibilities that they need to do. These systems and processes and say, okay, you go do it, right? That's wrong. What we should do is we should know what the systems and processes are 
And then we should be going and hiring the person for those jobs that are best profiled to be able to do that. Case in point, do you remember Aaron, our assistant? Yes. Yes. Did you see that, everybody? He Eyebrows up. Yes. She was a beautiful, beautiful girl. And she came in and we got along great and it was awesome. Me and her, we got along really good. She profiled just like me. Okay. So we get on a plane, we go down to see a bunch of offices. Todd and I get dropped off in two different places. He's in Lubbock and I'm in some other place in Texas. We get there. We're like, hey, we got to stay at our hotel. We go and there's no hotel even named what she told us. And we didn't have a hotel. We didn't have a car. She booked the the, the hotels in the wrong state. Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing was, was an absolute freaking debacle. And this is what we did. We hired her as our assistant and then we gave her all these responsibilities, Right. And she wasn't the right person for those jobs. She was very creative. She had great ideas and imagination. But as far as like technical, like little teeny tiny detail-oriented things, she was not the person. And the, so the principle behind it is, is for you leaders out there, managers, is when you, you, don't want, you, want, you don't want to do everything. You want to start turning yourself into what we call like a level five manager, where you're stepping up your game and you're hiring other people to do their job. Do, a, do your job, but do it better and, and delegate it out. And as you do that, and as you move more to that way, you've got to be able to give them the exact system and process of how they want to be able to go out and do it so that you don't, it doesn't end up coming back onto your table, right? And so as you delegate out these things, they'll know exactly how they're going to do it, but you want to make sure that they're the right person to do it, right? You don't want me to figure out compensation and pay it, okay? You want me Sean Branchley, to design it, be creative, be the person that like does the visuals and all that stuff and make it super fun. But I'm not the guy that's going to facilitate it and get it done, right? And so if I know those things, then I can know where they fit in my team and how to make them good. And that's what I did with that group of dynamic people from Jared Young to, you know, Casey Ba. Like I knew what their strengths and what their weaknesses were, and I knew where to place them and how to get my job done. Well, and that goes down to like the the even the level of recruiting, right? Yeah. How often do people say, "All right, let's get a guy, try to make him do this," That's as right. opposed to saying, "Okay, here's the job. Who are five people that I know that would be great at this job?" That is correct. And attacking it that way, because I think, and it's hard sometimes maybe to not be the guy for a job you think you want, but ultimately it'll end up in both people being happier. That's right. Right? Because yeah. putting you in payroll. Or whatever, yeah. ultimately, it's just not going to make you happy or the business happy. Yeah, and I eventually will get it, but I'll be swimming upstream. You want to put people to where they're in the water and they're able to swim downstream and they're having fun. They can look up, and they love it, and, and it's great. And they're, what I found is, is that that's what managing is, is to be able to assemble that team and be able to put those parts together. It doesn't do you good to have 10 superstars, right? If everybody wants the attention and they're all superstars, they're not going to do the work. But if you can have each person and you understand what that person's capacity is and how they contribute to the team and where they fit. And if it makes sense in their minds, they're okay. And that's how you can build an absolutely phenomenal team. Well, it's the only way you can scale as well, right? That is correct. How, um, so in that same regard, what happens when you have multiple alphas on the same team and you're the head coach trying to coach these guys? You don't know about that, do you? I mean, I look at, I mean, I look at guys like Phil Jackson and I'm like, Brenchley's kind of like the Phil Jackson of the door to door industry. So you gotta, you gotta keep them on the toes. And some people are like, what are you talking about? I've never talked about this before. And so this is going to be 
kind of crazy. I knew as a chess player that, or I always knew that if I stayed dormant for a long period of time, that they would get, they would strategize and they'd get their footing and, and they would outwork me. So all I had to do was keep them on their toes, like keep them off balance, like kind of challenge them and rock them a little bit here and there to make sure that they were always on their toes and that they couldn't like get their footing really down and to where they could strategize and kind of go out and get ahead of me sort of bit. And so I always had good intentions for him. I always wanted to grow. A great example, like Ty, um, he was in Pittsburgh, did a phenomenal job, got up, did this correlation that was unbelievable, had everybody doing their stuff. He had all of the the creative there. He had his mission, his guiding principles, goals and objectives. He had everything in this thing. And, and the, the office was just, just energetic and ready to go out and make it happen. And he got done. And I said to him, Ty, I this think is Boston. Oh, it was Boston. Sorry. So I said, Ty, listen, great job. Phenomenal. But guess what? You failed. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And I'm like, dude, you got to challenge yourself. You did everything. You're a level one leader. You'll never, ever grow. You'll never expand. You'll never turn into anybody greater than what you can do. And he's like, what you, what, dude, that was like my best. Like, that was good. And I'm like, yeah, but the only person I saw work was Stacy. She's the only one that contributed to you. And you had all these guys out there. Get them. I want you to delegate your responsibilities to them, i.e., one guy gets up and does the rules for the day. One guy does the paperwork. One guy does this. And let your team become a part of you. Like, let them learn how to become you. Mm -hmm. And you sit back and you watch them create. And then you have a team that's great, not good. There's a there's another piece to that story that I don't know if we've talked about. Um, but sorry. it put him on his heels. Right. All of a sudden, he's like, dude. Yeah, I thought I killed it. I, I mean, he was like 4,000 accounts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was just killing he just it. He was like, subject, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, I want to go deeper. No, 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 no it's okay. Subject. No, no he, I want to go deeper into this, it. But I'm yeah. just telling you, it's that kind of stuff. Like when you say, hey, what? And it's always challenging somebody to be better. Always challenge them to say, yeah, you did great. But guess what? There's a little bit more there. Like go, go, go get it. Like go... Go try and be a better person. You can reach up, dude. All the time, you can always reach up. And so I'm interested to hear the downside because I got up and walked out, got on the plane and, <laughs> and left to the next area. But I did want to leave Ty with something because, you know, in Ty's world, he 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 is, takes it upon himself to be the best. And he's so good that I knew that if I gave him a little bit of critical, that he would want to rise above that. That's right. And so here's, yeah, so here's what happens. That was 2009. Um, and I remember getting, that was in the height of that OSD thing where, you know, we were learning this model and yeah. you were teaching it to me and it was making sense, but leadership, man, this, this job is such a leadership crucible. You get into it and you don't realize you're going to learn all this stuff about sure. life and leadership and stuff. So that was 2009, 2010. I started to implement that stuff, but at the end of 2010, it was September. I got home from the summer and I called you September, yeah. right? And I said, this has been an amazing ride. I've been happy with my pay. I've been happy with my experience, but I'm done. Yeah. And he's like, what do you mean you're done? How much money did you make last year? And I was like, I was like, uh, you know, I'm not unhappy with the pay. And I remember, usually we have these conversations in October, November, so I was giving you some time to replace <laughs> me. Uh, and Sean said, just hold on right there. I'll just come. It's the first time you came to my house. And he drove up to my house. Do you remember this meeting? Yeah, sure. It was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was um, pulled to my house. We sat yes, in my living room. I do. 
And he said, you know, all right, let me hear you out. And I was like, okay, I am not using my skills. There, there's certain things that I want to do in my career and this job doesn't use those. So I'm going to go find one yes. that does. My other problem is this, is I feel like your leadership group is baked and I can't grow. And we talked for a while, but the advice that you gave me, I put in here, you actually saved my career that day. I, I, I would have I was job shadowing with other people. I had contacts. I had other connections already made in advertising and marketing and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And your two pieces of advice were, number one, you have got to find a way to use your skills and creativity in your work because this opportunity is unreal and you're yeah. too good at it to throw it away. So rather That's than right. throwing it away, these things that you like, find a way to make it your superpower. And then the second thing is beat everybody so badly that there's no question on who grows. And that was 2010, we're 2019 now, yeah. almost 2020. Yeah. And when I think back, there's a lot of other things that went into it, but that was the first time I think that I really caught vision where it's like, oh, I can drive this ship. I'm not just on someone else's boat. Yeah. And from that, look at all the things that have, that have yeah. come as a result of that. So personally, long story, I'm very grateful yeah. for you being able to bot me on the nose. Yeah. And I feel like a good leader challenges people. Yeah. They actually do that. If you would have said, this is great, this is awesome, I wouldn't have remembered that yeah. meeting. So let me tell you where I learned this. And uh, it's really interesting. And I hope it benefits some of the managers and also the reps that are listening to it. It was, um, like they told me before, I was an art teacher, or I was an art, art guy. And my art teacher, when I went down to Snow College, there was a guy and his name was Steve Yang. And he was amazing. He came from China and he could draw anything. He'd do murals. He was, he was way better than the teacher could ever be. And I took a class from this guy, Carl Purcell, and I'd always get A's. But there was another guy named Allred. His last name was Allred, Osrel Allred. And this Osrel Allred guy, every time I'd do something, he'd put down 2.8. And I'm like, 2.8? Are you freaking kidding me? I've never not got an A. And, and I'm like really disturbed and upset because I got to have my grade to keep my GPA to keep my scholarship. And I'm like going through this and I'm trying harder and harder and harder. The best grade I got the entire year was 3.1. And that sucker put a B on my, my report card and I was fired up. So I went to Steve and I'm like, Steve, dude, you tell me, what the freak? Why are you here? And he's like, Sean, don't you understand? I could go anywhere in the, Ameri in, in the United States, I, any, any place would accept me. But this is the only place and the only person who's ever shot me straight and has ever given me a 2.8. And I'm like, what? You get 2.8s? He's like, yeah, I get 2.8s. And guess what? It makes me really mad. And he's like, I looked at it and I thought to myself, hey, I can either take and look at that 2.8 as something bad or something that's good, something that can challenge me to become better and, and continue to grow. If I continue to get A's on everything, I would never grow. Mm. If nobody ever gave me feedback, nobody ever gave me a challenge, nobody ever said, hey, do, do this or try this or do it in a different way, I would never get to the point place that I want to be. I'm here to be the best artist that I can, not here to get a grade. And I've thought about that for a long time. And it's like, hey, wait, what are you guys trying to do? Like, if you're here just to get a paycheck, that's the wrong thing. Okay? It has to be something bigger and it has to be something better. It should be something like, hey, knowledge is the purest form of competitive advantage. And guess what? I want to absorb it all. Okay? I want to get everything that I have. If I'm in your office, Adam, I'm sucking every ounce of knowledge out of you. Why? Because it's in my Rolodex now. I take everything that you've given me and I put it into my Rolodex and I have it forever. Okay? Everything that Paul taught me, I have it in my war chest now forever. 
anything that anybody's ever taught me. I have it in my war chest and I can go take that and I can go create it whatever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want, in another situation, in another place. And that's what's true value. Like sitting down and saying, I'm going out and knocking on doors and I'm going to get a paycheck for that. No. Sitting down, watching a correlation happen. The intricacies of a correlation, how it's done, why it's done the way that it's done, how they're capturing people. How do you get somebody to go out and actually knock on a door? Like, come on, that's a drag. Like how to make that fun, that whole science behind it and being able to take all that information. That's what creates value. And that's what should be something that all these guys should be looking forward to, to be able to say, hey, I'm trying to be my best. And, and I think when they do that, they'll, they'll get the most out of, out of this job and this career. So I want to switch gears a little bit. It's like a Tarantino movie where we started kind of at the end. I want to like go back to the beginning okay, and then piece this thing together again. Um, so you were one of like the OG of OGs. You okay. came into this thing back in the late 90s yes. with your brother-in-law. Yes. You realize there's people that work for us now that weren't born when you started doing that. <laughs> That's true. I, I imagine that. I, do I have, hired someone the other day I from do the have 2000s. Yeah, they yeah. were born like that. I didn't know people were alive that were born then. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, what's crazy is I get asked, and you probably get asked this sometimes too, um, people will say, why are there so many door-to-door companies from utah mm-hmm. or why are there so many of the leadership from utah and i'm like all right here we go and then i have to give the oral history of door to door and how it all kind of got started or whatever and your name is obviously always a part of that story yeah. so um can you walk us through how first you and your brother-in-law hatched the plan yeah. for safe home mm-hmm. and then you know, where that went and then what ultimately led you to the Vivint. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, in 1998, um, I, well, for, I'm going to go a little bit further back. So I came home, uh, from serving a two-year LDS mission from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I came back, I went to school at the University of Utah. During the time that I was working at the University of Utah, I was working for my dad. I always thought that I was going to work for my dad. As soon as I graduated- he was in the building industry. He sold doors, windows, stair parts, things in the building building industry. Because of where the industry was at, right when I graduated, I got let go from my father. That was my very first Dad like fired you. failure. Yeah, like oh my goodness sakes, like I just got canned by my dad, right? <laughs> And and so it was. <laughs> I mean, Ty knows the story of me getting fired by my sister in law. That's yeah, way worse. That's, that's way worse. It's bad. Yeah, yeah like dad I, firing you. My, that's, dad, my dad was my dad. You know, he was an inspiration to me. But all these years, I thought that hey, I was going to take over the family business, and it didn't work out. And it uh, didn't even almost work out. No, it, like it didn't <laughs> no. even get to the. It runway. didn't even get there. <laughs> I was working. I was in this gray haired world, and it was good because it made school actually alive for me. Right, it, the business thing came out. Got, and yeah, it was you good. Got put on notice. You're like all of a sudden, I better learn some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His business partner would, did not want to pay me twelve twelve thousand dollars annually of his income to go to Colorado, and I was like, hey, that's fine. I'll go get another job. So I went and I got a job at the garbage and recycling company of all things. And I'd sell these containers and stuff. And so I went and did that. I did the garbage gig. And um, my wife went to law school up at the University of Utah. And so during the day, I would do the garbage gig. And then at night, I didn't have anything to do. And my wife's up doing the school thing. So I called my brother-in-law. I'm like, hey, um, can I sell these security systems, right? And uh, at night, I don't have anything to do. So, so he's like, yeah, I'll set these appointments up. Well, 
I'm selling garbage, right? The pick pickup service of garbage. It's not emotional at all. Nothing. It's horrible. It's just give me a good price and pick it up. So I start selling these security systems. It's very emotional. I can qualify. I, all the things that I'm learning, I can actually pull into it. And I loved it. And I did really, really well. So they're like, hey, come down here. Come down here, safe home security. We want you to be able to go run this. So I did. They gave me 5% ownership. It took about a year to find out that they were bankrupt. They owed $150,000 in equipment. And it was really not a good situation. Not only that, but I was supposed to be a master dealer. So that meant that I was supposed to go sign up other dealerships, other alarm companies to sell underneath me. And I had the whole, in, the whole United States. Well, they had just signed up this company called RSNI up in Idaho. And the guys in RS, RSNI, or at RSNI, they said, I'm going to flex my muscle and my power. Those guys in Utah, I want you to limit their scope of work. You can't go sign up any dealers except for in Utah. In Utah at the time, there were five alarm dealers. That was it. And so I had to make lemonade out of lemons, right? Like, it was not good. Like, I was like, oh, geez, what do I got to do? I don't. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a thing out there. I, I love to be able to say on this podcast, like, how many guys are actually went to Harvard? I would probably say very, very few that are out knocking on doors, okay? So I'm in their camp. Like, I'm in your camp. Like, I'm, I, I know that, hey, I don't have other options. Right. I don't, I can't go to another job. Like, I got to make this thing work. And they say that, uh, like, more millionaires have been, haven't been, uh, that have graduated, haven't graduated from high school than people that had, right? Like, this stat, stat that you hear. And I really do actually, I don't know if it's true or not, but I believe in a little principle in there. If, when the going gets tough, right, <laughs> the guys that have all these degrees and stuff, they bail and they go wherever they need to. If you don't have a choice, you just... They got options. Yeah, they got options. I didn't have options. I had to sit and I had to go and I had to grind it. Like, that's just what we had to do. So so I did. I sat and I grinded it and I was like, what are we going to do? And we started thinking about it. And um, Chad says, hey, these guys sell pest control and they do it year round. Let's go talk to them and see if they can do home security. And so I went and met with Todd Peterson, a guy named Brent Bingham. And uh, they were the two guys. One was selling Orkin and one was selling Terminex way back in the day. I wish we, we had a photo of that meeting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. we said, hey, do you want to do, instead of going out and sell pest control, to come and sell home security? Just try it. Give it a shot. And for some reason, something was going on in their industry to where they decided to go ahead and do it. Todd, at the time, said, I'm going to go do it by myself. And Eclipse said, hey, we'll use you guys. The only reason why they decided to use us was because they couldn't get the state licensing. That was it. <laughs> so we did it. We got it up. We got it going. We went out. We did 3,500 accounts. And we, we did really good. Um, we got into an ownership issue at the end. Um, and it's this very, is you and your brother-in-law. Yeah, it's very typical for a business as they grow in different stages. That the realignment of roles, once you get cash in it, um, happened to like Steve Jobs and a lot of co- different companies of um, that you see, they kind of go through this evolution. And uh, anyways, long story short, um, my brother-in-law and I saw didn't see eye to eye. And um, he went to a competitor and... I literally uh, was left with a company called Safe Home Security that was bankrupt. Like, he took, they took my whole sales force. It was a, it was not a good, it was not a good place for me to be. And, um, and so I, I jumped on the plane. I told my wife, "Hey, we got to go on this last vacation. This is it, honey." And she's like, "What? What's going on?" And I'm like, "No, this is it. Like, I don't know if we'll be able to make it in two or three months. Like, we have two hundred thousand dollars a month, and I have six hundred thousand dollars in the bank. We literally will make it." Uh, three months, and then I don't know how I'm going to 
provide for you. I don't know what we're going to do. And she's like, oh, gosh. All right, so let's go. Why do you think we should go on a vacation? Maybe you ought to work. And I'm like, I don't know. I just think let's just go. So we went to the Kentucky Derby. And we go to the Kentucky Derby. We get on the plane, and we walk by, and there's Todd Peterson and Keith Nelson on the plane. And I'm like, oh, geez, you got to be kidding me. I'm on the plane with these two guys. And my wife's like, aren't those guys the guys that, like, like are, are your competitors? I'm like, yeah. So we sat down. We get off the plane, and we go to the limo. And it says, Brenchley, Peterson, Nelson. So we had to get in the same freaking... Just randomly? Just, yes. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. You call it from... Man upstairs, that I don't know. It doesn't get much more specific than we that. We freaking get into the limousine, and now we're like sardines in this thing, and we have to talk. And so we we talk, and we go through this. We get out. We go to the hotel. They put us at the same exact table, the same room, the same booth. I spent so much time with those two. Like, no, no, no. You're meeting. <laughs> yes. And you're going to talk. <laughs> and at the end of it, uh, Keith Nelson's wife, Melissa Nelson, yeah. said... You're going to go, and you're going to hire that kid. You're going to hire him, and he's going to be a part of this company. And um, and they came to me, and they said, hey, um, what will it take to get you to come? And uh, at the time, I was like, I was dead. Right. And I'm like, mm. And so, unfortunately, I said 10, 10%. I should have said 20. I, I, don't, I said 10, and they said, done. I was like, oh, crap. Shoot, wrong number. <laughs> That was a really expensive so ten, yeah, twenty. Twenty. <laughs> that was a that was a very expensive thing. But at the same time, it wasn't that. It was that these guys, you know, Todd and Keith saved me, and uh, so that's how it. That's how it. Uh, that's how I came to to Apex or Vivint. I want to know because so many of our guys end up working with us, and it wasn't their plan A. Yeah. And you and your brother in law, you're starting a business together. I mean. There's a lot of stories that start that way, right? Where it's like two guys get together, family members get together, they decide to start a business, and all of a sudden, you know, a year or two later, this thing is not looking like it did as you guys planned it. Yeah. And then on top of that, I mean, you were like sitting there, your whole world was on the verge of collapsing. You know yeah. what I mean? So how do you maintain just a level head and a clear mind to make good decisions as yeah. you're going through that? So you started in what? Oh, four. Mm-hmm. And would you call I that? I don't know how you remember that, by the way. We, if you get an Oh, four, right. You're out and you would, you would describe the recruiting battle as what? Oh man. When I started. So when I started <laughs> in the door to door industry, pinnacle security was run by Sean's brother-in-law, Chad. Yeah. I was recruited by Jared Chappell um, and Brett Kessler, who yeah. uh, were working with Jared to just partner with Chad as well and form Pinnacle Security. And there was like this huge division at that point because that's when Safe Home and everything yeah. kind of like, and it was like Bloods and Crips, man. Well, that's I mean, like when Jason Brown had come yeah. over and Jared and Bo. And yeah, all JY, Jared Young, and so all those it got, guys. It got pretty toxic. I mean, it was, it was a situation there. Like, so. I'm talking like if you were driving around Provo, Utah yeah. during that time. And you like catch a, a stray bullet type like, stuff. Yes, <laughs> like if you were at a restaurant yeah. and you, I saw a kid wearing like an Apex shirt. Yeah, yeah. it was like stare down yeah. type stuff. Like it was because we were recruiting everybody, and you know, every single one of those recruits represents income for your yeah. family potentially, right? So it's, I mean, it was serious stuff, and it was really heated. Yeah. So my relationship with Chad was great at the beginning um, when we didn't have any money. 
it was awesome. Right. Those are the great yeah, times. Yeah, you're in it to win it. Yeah, you're in it to make this thing. And then all of a sudden when you start getting money, it's like who who did more? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I know I wasn't perfect um, as well. I'm not saying that I didn't have my faults. In fact, I, I and probably fast had forward, it. Right? You guys are great now, by the yes, way. Yes, yes, yeah. we are. We're good. We've kissed and made up and all that st- side of it. But <laughs> but literally, we we went through this phase, and it's a phase of everybody as you grow your business and you get successful. And it'll happen even in an office, right? Um, guys will be in an office, they'll grow, and they'll do, be, mm-hmm. be extremely successful. And then at the time, you know, hey, who's going to be the manager type thing? That's right. And it just... You know, it's just a it's a thing that I think that as you look back, you can smile and laugh on it. But at the time, it's really real. And like keeping your head, I don't know that I necessarily kept my head. I was young and and uh, it was extremely emotional. And just like you said, it was a crips in the blood. And it became that way. Like somebody would come and, you know, be recruited by me and they would go over and talk to Chad and it would go back and forth. And it was it was a it was a toxic environment. But um, but at the same time, I was very appreciative of what I had done and and I had been on both sides so I'd been on this side and then I've seen both sides so I could tell somebody hey this is the place that you need to be and this is why and um and and that was very powerful for me and and it was very passionate and I knew that they were good guys and they took care of me so they would take care of all the rest of them and so I felt like it was a great place for people to be and and I wanted it to be home and uh for everybody and I really felt like that's what made me great as a leader is that I wanted Ty and everybody to feel like this is a place that they could be protected, that there was nobody that was going to trump them. Yeah, there was an inner company game, but nobody was telling Ty, hey, you're out. Right. You know, you're going to stay here. And you're, but then again, he, he was 100% commission. So, well, yeah. And, so and we talk about this all the time, but those experiences you had back then, I'm sure, have turned you into who you are today, That's right. right? And yeah, yeah. in hindsight, you can look back and see all the lessons. Yeah. And all the things that were necessary to, to help you become the leader that you are today. Yeah. Yeah. And also on the money side of it, everybody's like, looks at me and says, hey, look, this is who you are today. Wow. Look how well you've done. But I think if you go back and look at it historically and hourly, like yearly go back, there's so many failures inside of there going over and over and over again. And it's just, I really think that, you know, the idea that, hey, look, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to persevere. I promise you my gut got punched. When my dad said, you're no longer working for me, that was a tough one. But I would have been in the building industry and that wouldn't have taken me anywhere. When I got my check, okay, when the check hit the old Branchley Bank account, I got this feeling of satisfaction that was like, oh my gosh, this was great. So guess what I did? My first text was to my dad's business partner. And it was just simply this. I'm, I, so, I am so glad that you did not spend $12,000 on me to go to Colorado because I would have built this for you. And I sent him the article for two billion bucks. And it was the greatest satisfaction oh, yeah, that, uh, that I've had. And I think that sometimes in our lives, there's people that say, you can't, you shouldn't, you wouldn't, mm-hmm. you can't. Nobody's gonna say, hey, my son, I, I wanted you to grow up and be a solar salesman, right? Nobody, nobody, nobody's well, saying, saying that now. You we're should that now, and you should because they're doing great, yeah, and they're providing for themselves, and you guys are teaching them how to be men and how to take care of their families. Like those are really great things, and it doesn't matter what you do. This is a great avenue for you to be able to go exercise all of your skill sets and abilities to go and provide for your family. It's a great place. But no parent said when they were growing up, and no kid said, "Guess what." I want to be a solar salesman, right? I don't, I, I'm going to be that guy. That's not what, I didn't think I was going to be a garbage salesman for crying out loud, right? Garbage. But 
That's not what we are. We are salesmen. We're translators. Okay. We're taking information and we're making it as simple as possible to our customer base. We're providing a value that, that they can understand and we simply are relating it so that they can better their lives and the environment. And that's a great be, thing. I think you'd be really proud of Max and what he does on our solar team. He's, he's going to be just fine. He'll be great. He'll be great. I'm, he's coming. Sean's son. Yeah. We've had our eye on him yeah, for yeah. about, what, 12 years. He'll do, he'll do just we'll take he's good care of still out right now? Yeah, he's, he's out. out, right? Yeah, he's out. Where is he's, he? He's in, he's in uh, Georgia. Florida. Oh, is he in Florida? Florida, yeah. He's in Georgia, right. Tifton, Georgia, but he's in the, he's in the Florida uh, mission. I'm going to start writing him letters. Right. Well, good luck. I started battle. five years ago. Um, <laughs> so you talked about some failures. Talk about the totem pole. Okay. Your concept of the totem pole. Yeah, yeah. So, a cool idea. so I was up in, um, I was up at the University of Utah, and uh, I had a professor, and he talked about this totem pole and this totemic society, and uh, we were reading the book, The Great Great Gatsby, and uh, he was talking about that, hey, there's this like society that you know, we look at these social statuses of people and. He mentioned this totem pole thing, and, and I was going through and I was looking at it, and again, from a visualization standpoint of it, I want people to be able to go through and figure out, hey, how mentally can I be inspired on a day-to-day basis, right? And so um, this totem pole idea came up, and I started studying these totem poles, and it was really interesting. Like, there was no religious connotation to it. They just started to build these, and they're only in the Northwest. They're not nowhere else in the world but in the Northwest. So all the way from Alaska, all the way down the coast, Victoria, Seattle. And they built these totem poles, and they were just a familiar faces and or events that made the people remember them. So if somebody did something stupid, they'd carve this totem pole, and they put him on the bottom and say, don't be that guy. You remember that guy, kid? Don't ever do what that guy did. He's the low man on the totem pole, right? And so it's a great management tactic. Yeah. But the guy at the top, the dude at the top, the eagle, whoever it was, it was always associated to a chief or or someone that they could say, that guy was the guy that I want you to be like. And so I've I've been able to be around a lot of very instrumental people that have influenced my life. And and I want those guys on my totem pole. And so when I was going through and I was struggling with this whole event, I thought that I was going to lose my house and my family, and we were pretty much bankrupt. <clears throat> I needed something to motivate me. And um, just like knocking on doors, going and recruiting and doing all this stuff, like there's, there's certain things that we don't like to do, right? And so I, I was like, I, w- I need to inspire to be some people. So I took these guys, and I had these pictures, and there were three of them. There was Steve Batchelor, uh, John Sassine, and, um, and uh I had Todd Peterson. Okay. So those were my three guys right there that I was looking at. I was like, Hey, these are my guys that I look up to that I want to be able to look at. I looked at their characteristics and they were people that I want to. And it kind of got me motivated, but it didn't get me as motivated as a picture of my brother-in-law that told me, Brenchley, I don't want you on my team. I'm going to go over here and you can stay with that sinking ship. You're not good enough. I wanted that guy, my dad's business partner, he was a guy that said, you're not worth 12,000 bucks. Okay. You're not that guy. Right. And it wasn't the people on the top of my total pole, but it was these guys on the bottom that said that I couldn't, that I shouldn't, or I wouldn't. And they were the people that I wanted to be able to go. And I promise you, if you guys want to do a great activity, you take those people that said you couldn't, you shouldn't, that you wouldn't be anything. And you put a picture of them. And every day you wake up and you look at that thing, I promise you, you'll have one of the best days of your life. Right. You will go and you will work hard um, because it, it, it was just an interior thing that really helped me and kept me going on a day-to-day basis to be able to dig out and create. Because if you just sit there, <laughs> this world's cruel. It'll tackle you, right? And so you have to get up on it and you got to go create it. 
And so that's where the totem pole was. Yeah, I love it. I always say to welcome those those effective distractions. So if it's a totem pole that you got to put that breaks up the monotony of your day and say, you know what, I'm going to get to that level yeah. and then I'm going to get to that level. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I think that's, you've always had a great ability to look to people doing it the right way and almost like deconstruct them and say, why, what, what is it that I like about this guy? Oh, from Todd, I like the generosity. I want to be a generous person. That's right. You know what I mean? And yeah, like, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's good for people listening to stop, list it out. Yeah. Who, who, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to stay as far away from as possible and let, let that drive you? Um, you mentioned earlier capturing hearts and minds. Yeah. Um, what are some strategies that you use to capture hearts? Because you talked about how you kind of managed individual the dynamics yeah. of the leadership groups that you've built over time. But yeah. I remember specific activities, instances, uh, things outside of the box. But maybe speak to your strategy okay. on that. So, um, so one of the things that... Uh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give an example if you don't if you don't mind it yeah. yeah so so uh, capturing hearts and minds the leader does this right and, and minds is pretty when I say easy it's not easy it's you can do it with numbers you can say hey from a mental standpoint of it this is where you rank inside of the company so as soon as you put that ranking up there and you give them information that makes sense this is your this is the best way for you to get paid and this is why like if i unclose that like i'm i'm working on their minds to capture it like to be able to get them in the right direction to be able to believe in our goals and objectives to be able to get them to suck on the Kool-Aid like drink it and actually like it right and have that right formula right and and so mentally those are things but to capture the heart very few people i feel like um can do it and i remember uh, going to tony robbins and he he was talking about this idea of changing your state, right? And I've been in environments where um, people have done things in, in a big group, and I'm like, why would they do something like this? But that leader made them change their state, right? For good and for bad. And so this changing the state was something that I, I, I really felt like, hey, look, let's try and see if I can't get into these guys. Now, again, keeping them on their toes, if I talk about those things to my guys, to the regionals, to the managers, it'll get them fired up. They'll get competitive and they'll start to hate each other. So somehow I got to be able to address that and be able to say, hey, how can I bring these guys together? And so <clears throat> I was down in Las Vegas. This will be a great activity. If you guys want to copy me, copy me on this, um, you can. But I was down in Las Vegas and I thought, you know what? We have never one time ever done a meeting where the wives were involved. And I was like, they're, they're, they're the we. These women have been through traveled to Boston, dragged, how many different places have you lived? You guys have lived. I mean, been these- emotionally abused by their just stressed out husbands. Yes, <laughs> like they've been more a part of this than anything. And I'm like, you know what? They're gonna come. For the first time, I invited their wives to a meeting. And I said to them, I was like, hey, we're coming down to Las Vegas. We're gonna do a great fun activity. It'll be really fun for you. You'll enjoy that. But I wanted you guys all to know, you can either go shopping, or you can stay right here and you can, if you've ever wondered what happens inside of a meeting, I want you to stay here and I want you to be a part of it. If you want to pipe up and chime up, you can. Just, I want you to be a part of it. And I was like, I didn't know how many people were going to stay and how many people were going to go. I'll be danged if one wife out of all of them stood up and said, I'm going shopping. I don't care. And the rest of them stayed there. I was like, wow, this is crazy. So then I proceeded to start talking to him about leadership. And I wanted to be able to say to him, hey, listen, what is it? Do you think it comes from a book? 
Do you think that the 12 rules of leadership is like the thing? The funny part about it is, is that it's actually right in front of us. And um, I took a picture of my dad and me and I said, hey, this is my dad. This is what he taught me. These are the qualities and attributes that I like about him as a leader. But what has your dad said about you as a leader? And I had prepared a letter from everybody's dad to them as a, as a manager or a regional or whatever. And I get emotional because some of these things are like, they're, they're awesome. Some of them, I'm an, I'll call myself um, naive and a little bit innocent, but um, some of them were hard because I figured everybody had the same relationship with their father as I did. But some of these guys hadn't even talked to their fathers for 20 years. And this was the first time that they had communicated to their dad. I didn't know. And I had my assistant put together these letters. So when I'm handing these letters to these guys, four of them stood up and walked out of the room because they hadn't heard from their dad for 20 years. And I'm like, dude, you gotta be kidding me, right? Like, like how can you not have a relationship with your dad? And, and I was naive to that. But <clears throat> uh, this was one of the letters that the, the dad said. I apologize, I, I, I get emotional and it's all good. But um, uh, we, we gloried in your success and cried with your failures, but mostly we were blessed with the understanding that the Lord had given us um, one of his own and that we had been chosen to be parties of a gifted child. No gift, in, uh, no gift could be given that was greater than anything. And it's Ron Larson. He, he said that. That was his dad. This was the one that, that I thought was great. Um, uh, he says, uh, this is from, we compliment you and want you to know that the greatest tribute you have given us as your parents is the respect and love you have shown and continue to give to your wife. Um, Leslie Gage and Riker. That was, I, I thought that. So I came, I came through this thing and I was like, hey, what is the leadership? What are those words? And what do these fathers say to these leaders that are all inside of our company? What are the words? These, this is what, they, this is what the, it all came out with. They listen. They're a friend to strangers. They're a learner. They're a motivator. He's an opportunist. Teaches other people. Shares. Never gets down. Always is looking ahead. Sacrifices. Shows that you care. You've gone where no one has gone before. Always looking out for others. He's a fighter, always positive attitude, loves, surrounded by good people, friends. You're a shining light in a dark world, honored others, patient, example, generous, determined, goal-oriented, laughed, focused. All these words that come out that, um, that, that mean something that's a great attribute of a leader is right underneath this. Like they're what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, but we don't ever take time to be able to sit back and say, hey, this is what true leadership is. It's just being genuine to somebody, letting them know that their opinion matters and let them know that you're there to try and help lift them up. And I just got this huge list from these guys. One of them, um, Ben Bresky said, hey, the early years of your life were a hardship. I didn't know if you were gonna live or you were gonna die. And the fact of where you are today is just absolutely overwhelming to me. And I think a lot of times, we don't realize where we've been and the potential of where we can go. And I think that if we did have that chance, if, if Ben Bretzky knew, hey, I didn't know that I, was, I wasn't gonna make it. I mean, this guy's a champion. He goes out and works his tail off. He's an awesome technician, goes the extra mile, does everything just a little bit better every single day. And everybody thinks it's gotta be one great thing. 
right? It's not. It's being consistent over a long period of time and just doing little tiny incremental things to make sure that we get better every single day. And that's it. And it's a constant goal of trying to become, you know, great. Trying to be like your dad or somebody else's dad or a father figure or somebody that's there. But your gift is be able to not only learn how to do that, but then reciprocate it and get it back down to those people that are around you. Well, I think, I mean, your legacy is just that, right? I mean, your legacy is all the people you've touched, all the people you've coached, all the people, you know, when we talk about scaling, I mean, you've scaled just an innumerable amount of leaders, like high level leaders that are now running companies and are teaching these same principles to their managers and things like that. It's a pretty incredible legacy. And I, um, I was hoping to talk about this just earlier because uh, it's not as heavy, but um, I don't even know if I would be in solar without you. Yeah. So Chance yeah. basically kind of introduced me, yeah. said, hey, we're starting this solar thing. I want you to come meet with Sean. Yeah. And um, at the time, I honestly wasn't sure if it was something that I wanted to do. And, yeah. and um, I had made some kind of bad learn the hard way mistakes as well through my 20s and I was in a spot where I'm I remember going into this meeting with Sean going I got to ask for some money to move across the country if I'm going to do this and so I was like trying to hardball Sean for like (laughs) five grand to move my family across the country and Sean like sat and hardballed me on this thing (laughs) for like 15 20 minutes and um anyway I think I I remember sending you a text probably two or three years into solar. Yeah. Just thanking you. I remember that. So, yeah, um, the best one was you had your so many kilowatts that you had personally done just recently. mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what the the level was, but you're just like, hey, I just want to let you know I appreciate you being able to do that. But um, let me tell you the landscape and just kind of describe why this was a hard situation. And hopefully from a leadership um, lesson people can realize um, kind of the potential. So number one, Chance worked for us, left our company, competed against us, and then came back and worked for us again. Leadership lesson is is that if a guy has a good, honest heart and he works hard and he does what he says he's going to do and he's really good, it's a good thing to bring people back, right? And to give people a second chance. I got a second chance. I was a competitor Todd taught me a principle that gave me a chance to be able to give here. And there's this teaching lesson that's, um, that's the law of reciprocity. It's being able to give something to somebody and getting somebody back in return. And everybody always says, what is Todd Peterson's greatest attribute? It's that. It's that he gives people an opportunity to be able to come and do something great. And I learned that. And you would work for another company. And you were coming to work for our company, right? And we had... 20 other managers that work for us in the security that wanted to come and do solar and you are getting one of the coveted spots, right? But I learned something. I knew that the principle is, is that, hey, if we give to Adam something that he couldn't otherwise get for himself, then he would go and he would take this opportunity and go make, go be great with it. And if he felt like he was special and he felt like I supported him and he did it and I also needed a support chance in his decision to be able to go and do that, that everybody would win in this decision. And so that law of reciprocity, being able to give something that they couldn't otherwise give to get, get by themselves, 
was something that that I've always learned from Todd and, and something that I've always been able to apply. And and it was a great decision. It was great because Chance felt my support and I believed in him to get you. And at the same time, you were able to come and, and do great things. But at the same time, the one thing that I want everybody to understand is, is that it's fun for me to be able to sit back and look at the growth of everybody. And it's fun for me to see from a historical standpoint of a people come into the company. And it's it's like they create, one person creates a platform and that platform is where everybody gets lifted up and put on. What they don't understand is that they're the next platform. That if they'll work hard, that whatever level you got taken to, you're going to go ahead and there's going to be somebody that's going to surpass you. In five years, you two won't be doing these podcasts. Maybe you will. I don't know. But hopefully it's somebody else, right? And hopefully they take this podcast and they make it twice as dynamic. Hopefully they take it and they take what you've done and they've made it even better. We talked about this. Our podcast, Jason Delstra and I, we'd sit in this thing. It was rinky-dink and we'd rip them out and they were terrible. Now this, this crew has done a phenomenal job of being able to take it to another level. And that's what people don't understand a lot of times is they look at where they're at and they complain, but they don't realize that the, the sky's the limit. And there will be steps and you can take this company to a better place. And, um, and that level that you got brought up to is just one level and it'll continue to go. And as long as you have that and you inspire that, that's what makes companies great and people great. Before, before you bring it home, um, I know Chance is your guy. And you worked with Chance forever over at Vivint and yeah. Apex before. Um, a lot of our guys are brand new. I mean, we Paul, we just talked to Paul Dixon a, a few minutes ago. We have onboarded over 700 reps in the last two months. Yeah, um, I mean, great. it's insane right now. Yeah. But so they don't know Chance as well as a lot of us that have been around for a long time. Do you mind just taking like two or three minutes and just like yeah. tell like give us give us a good chance story or just like talk to us about how lucky we are to have chance? Yeah. So uh, um, my best story that I can tell you about chance was um, I came from an, another company and I was intimidated a little bit. I felt like I had a treasure chest of secrets that I could give to people. And I knew that I could make their business better, Vivint or Apex's business, but better. And but I didn't know the people. I didn't know how they would accept me. I had no idea what that would be like. And a new guy coming in to tell them what to do and how to do it, um, I, I was a little intimidated by that. And the one thing that I can say about Chance was is that um, he had a big smile on his face, and he welcomed me with open arms. And um, for that. Um, I appreciated him. And that's the type of guy he is. He's a guy that opens up his arms, smiles big, and he's going to give you everything that he can. And if you don't think that guy is not for fighting for you in that little box on the corner of David Bywater, I know he is. I know that guy is pounding every single day to get everybody paid more, to do what's best for their families, and to make sure they're doing to get the production going. And um, that's probably the biggest thing that that I remember about Chance was just him being able to accept me at a time where I was pretty vulnerable, right? I was in a new environment. And if you want to talk about vulnerability, I felt it. Like I felt it. And whether or not anybody else did, I don't, I don't know. But his ability to sell and our ability to be able to put the technical thing together was like nitroglycerin. And we really did well together. His office did well together. And I watched him 
be able to go from a ground level of being able to not only sell, but to manage, to, to work his way up and see him at every aspect of it, to let him go and watch him at another company. And um, he had the humility to call uh, Todd and myself, actually. And then I got Todd and we went over to help them at Platinum. And he was able to take that in humbly and say, hey, I tried it. I gave it my shot. That's what I wanted to try and go do. And, and to be able to come back and to humble himself, that's, that's some pretty, pretty cool stuff. So he's humble. Uh, he's caring. And um, his greatest attribute is just he can just take it on the nose all day long and just keep going forward. It does not matter, dude. That guy just keeps on plowing forward, and he'll never quit. And um, I've never been around somebody that I've wanted to beat you know, worse. Like if it's golf, if it's whatever it is, dude, I just want to beat the guy. Right. Like I, and, and he brings that out in me and, and it's because the guy just doesn't quit. He just keeps on going and he works through it. And, and he, and he's a, he's a smart guy that knows what's best for the reps. And he's been doing it for Ever. a long time. And he's, he's a great guy that way. So I think that the resiliency of just that, you know, failure plus persistence over and over and over gets you the success that you need to in life. So the uh, the one thing I was thinking of just as as I hear you talk and even you know to see you be emotional and stuff, we see you get emotional all the time. You know apologize. I apologize. It's yes. nothing new, man. Everybody no, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, we're not special. No, we're not special no, in that regard. No, no, these guys are all... You see Bresley like, on oh, the corner just... telling the kid cut his grass. No, I'm trying to tell you something. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's the deal. Yeah. They, you know, they say that, that people won't always remember what you say, but they'll remember how you make them feel. Yeah. Um, capturing hearts and minds is a massive takeaway from this. That's the job of a leader. That's right. Um, and hopefully they saw that I got into their hearts exactly by talking right. about their fathers, right? Yeah. That's capturing the hearts. How do I get... Those guys that are so competitive into a state change mentally to where all of a sudden they don't care about the competition. All they care about is life, right? Like being alive. Mm -hmm. And that's a state change. So that's, Well, and that was one example. The one I was thinking of is when we went to Mexico with Brad Christensen's group, who we've worked with since, by the way. That's great. That, that organization is close to my heart now because yeah. of you. But uh, Brent surrounded us up once and <clears throat> took us all down to Mexico. Uh, to build houses for, yeah. or to build a house for a family who had lost their house or something like that. And I remember we got down to San Diego, and usually when you travel with this group, yeah, we go to dinner at Fleming's. Everybody gets to go to Nike, get a pair of shoes. They Everyone the, gets their own room. I thought we were going to watch Todd, like right, race the Baja. Race the That's Baja. what we thought. So yeah. we show up and we get to this days in on the border of Tijuana, and Branch yeah. pulls in, and everybody in the van, we're in a van, uh, was like, "We're not staying here. He's just he's just being a dork." And then he's like, "Let's go." And literally, like, we went into this, and I'm pretty good to sleep wherever for motorcycle trips and stuff, but I, like, slept with my hood on so my hair didn't touch the pillow. Yeah. We slept there. We went down to Mexico. We built the house. The family whose home we were building served us lunch on site. And then I remember it was important, speaking of capturing hearts and twisting us up, that when we crossed the border, none of us showered or changed, and we walked straight into Fleming's. <laughs> and and I were there literally in like four days of Mexico all over us. Yeah. And I remember being there and feeling like I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this restaurant. I want to go and I want to serve people. I want to help people and I want to eat it, you know, Burger King and get out of here. But those experiences are stuff that I feel like if our leaders think about how can I make profound impact on people the way you did, yeah. I think they'll be great. And yes. I think the organization will continue to grow and I think we'll continue to do 
More good. Keep them on your on their toes. And right? keep them on their toes. Keep them on their toes. <laughs> that one was a good one to keep them on the toes. But I think that from a creative standpoint of it, um, the idea that your job as a leader is to try and get a we attitude instead of a me attitude. And sometimes that's hard with a payroll, like a pay scale. A pay scale may be saying me, me, me all day long. And it's your job as a leader to say, how can I get these guys to work together? What activities can I do to get these this team to be able to work together? Like, what what can we do? And and that's when you, it's easy when you know why you're doing what you're doing. And and that'll that'll be the great thing. So, um, but I hope that everybody can get something out of this thing. Is uh, the one thing is is just everybody has this ability. Um, you might have been like at, at the beginning of this. I might have started off not getting good grades, but I think that what I thought was a crutch and a handicap back then made me great when I was older, just because I was more aware of how to be able to talk to somebody and be able to influence them in a different way, in a creative way. And I could be able to capture them because a majority of my regionals and my upper management all profile green and, 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 and they don't like me putting them on a bobsled because it's too traumatic for them. They don't like it, but they'll remember it forever because it's that traumatic for them. And so I think understanding who your people are, knowing what's best for them and being able to try and challenge them is what I hope that this podcast comes out with to always have the guts to be Osrel Allred and put 2.8 on a perfect kid, right? And to challenge them to strive to be greater and to be better. And I hope that I hope that's what they get out of this. I think I definitely think they will, man. We we appreciate it. It's such a wealth of knowledge. We could go on forever, but yeah. I know that we've all benefited from it. And thank you for being here. This is Electric People. Thanks for sitting down with us. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric. <laughs>